Season 2, Chapter 3, The Fold No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. C.S. Lewis, The Fold The public press briefing was going as expected, which is to say that it was out of control. The locals easily outnumbered the reporters, and they were not mincing words. Miss Linda's death had overturned the town, and everyone was eager to find the person who had brought harm to such a beloved woman. Nathan felt like he was talking people down from the brink, talking down rage and revenge and fear. Someone said she was decapitated. Is that true? A couple of us would like to volunteer to help find the killer, Sheriff. Are we in danger? The Sheriff's gut was empty giving his gastric juices the space needed to slosh and slap around, wreaking havoc on what was left of his fragile stomach lining. He rubbed his sternum absent-mindedly. He was thinking about how best to answer that last question. As you know, we are in the middle of a serious ice storm. The roads are treacherous, and many of you will lose the power if you haven't already. And it is, um, it's getting dark. I do encourage all of you to go home and stay home. Schools are expected to be closed tomorrow, so this is a very good time to stay inside where it's safe. He had hoped his words would assuage the crowd. The owner of the local diner stepped forward, offering her location for coffee and a limited menu for anyone in need, adding, We have a generator! The sheriff's eyebrows lifted slightly. Uh, Thank you, Evie, but again... I think that home is where folks should be. Everyone should just go home. And then another wave of yelling and questioning rose up from the crowd. What is that supposed to mean? You saying the killer is one of us. There is stuff you're not telling us, and we have a right to know. Yeah, that's right. We have a right to know. The sheriff held up his hand as if he could calm them all down with a soft pump of the brakes. Please go home. And stay home. And if you have any information related to the incident, please call my office. Now, drive carefully, go slowly, and get home. He turned and re-entered the station, tugging at his tie as he strode briskly down the narrow corridor toward his office and a large bottle of Mylanta. Feeling okay, Sheriff? Miss Mabel asked as Nathan rushed by her desk. Give me five minutes, will ya? Just five minutes, he snapped, immediately regretting his tone. Miss Mabel was struck silent. She had been Sheriff Randall's secretary for nearly 14 years, and he had never spoken to her like that before. Nathan's cell phone had been vibrating during the entire briefing. He had messages to listen to, equipment to pack, and he needed to think. This time tomorrow, things could be better, or much, much worse. He gulped at the blue bottle of medicine. Reflexively, he made his way toward the coffee maker, and then he stopped himself. Guess I ought to cut back on this stuff. If I make it through tomorrow, I am going to make some changes. If. What are the odds that he would be here this time tomorrow? That he would have the luxury of kicking the health can down the road once again? He wished he knew. Replacing the stained carafe of coffee back onto its base, he sat down at his desk and pulled out a folded piece of paper from his breast pocket. He opened it and reviewed his notes. Most of what he planned to bring tomorrow was already in his SUV. The final items were in the station's garage.
Once Mabel wrapped up for the night, he would be free to load the gear into his vehicle without her seeing him, and then maybe he could close his eyes for... There was a knock at his office door. Sheriff, you sure you're okay? It was Mabel, already over any hurt feelings. Can I get you something? Anything? Before I leave for the night? How's about you wake me from this nightmare, is what he wanted to say. No, thank you, and I'm sorry for snapping. Have you had any dinner, Sheriff? She asked, breezing over his apology, but glad that he had made one. Dinner? What's dinner? I've got half a turkey club and a cookie in the break room. There's also some milk in the fridge. Why don't I bring it to you? The Sheriff stared back at her blankly. She was attending to his needs, but he had forgotten that he had any. Thank you, Mabel. That would be nice. By the time she returned, Nathan was busy listening to messages. Without saying a word, Mabel opened a paper napkin and set the meal out in front of him. Then she filled his coffee mug with fresh cold milk, tapped his shoulder in her usual motherly way, and left for the night. As she walked away, Nathan had started on Dr. Karen's second voicemail, hoping for good news. He got it. I have him. Ed's going to be okay. And I was able to get everything on my list, Nathan. I'm ready. We'll see you in the morning as planned and try to get some sleep. But what exactly was the plan? The sheriff had tried to propose something, but Clyde was not impressed. Ain't gonna matter what you think we should do, unless we do the first part right, Clyde had warned. We gotta do the first part right, then we talk about what comes next, and I'll be handling the first part. Well, this sounds more like a Hail Mary pass than a plan. A shot in the dark, Nathan had argued to the other three. And Nathan was tired of the dark. Four unlikely people were meeting in the morning to do the unthinkable. They had also accepted the improbable, that the undead walked among them. Six months ago, Dr. Karen, Ed, and Sheriff Randall would have put this idea in a box and then mailed it off to Crazy Town, where it could live with unicorns and time travel, where all ridiculous ideas should go. But that was six months ago. At best, Abram was a psychopath. Dr. Karen had made that connection quickly enough, but what couldn't be explained with science or logic, what Clyde had told them, they could not dismiss so quickly. They were all in uncharted waters, and yet not one member of this unlikely squad had hesitated. Crawl into a space where a very dangerous man is assumed to be sleeping. Okay. Inject him with a powerful sedative. Okay. Each believed that he or she was the best person for the job, and that they would not likely survive, and still not one of them wavered. Each had already walked with death and loss and great sadness. There was nothing left to fear. This unlikely band of the broken-hearted had become the lion-hearted. Nathan gulped the last of his milk and headed back to the station's oversized garage to get the last few items on his list. In less than thirty minutes, he had two black duffel bags loaded and ready to go. He watched the ice storm rage beyond the big bay door that he had left open, and he remembered Bruce's words about God and failure. That was only two days ago, he thought, a lifetime ago. 
The sheriff looked at his watch. I'll finish my calls and then try for a quick nap. Maybe an hour. Hopefully, it will be quiet for a while. And then his cell phone rang again. It was a number he did not recognize. Daytime was done, but not before it had encased the cabin in a layer of icy cellophane. The evening's weather report looked just as grim. Faye placed another chunk of birch into the wood stove and dropped back into her easy chair. She'd lost the power hours ago. No big deal. It happened a lot in the winter. It would be days before the line crews would get this far north, and she was the only full-time resident on the lake. Definitely a low priority. These events tested her mettle, and she was proud of her ability to prepare and cope. Next to Faye, a little dog moaned and stretched, ready to change napping positions. "'Since you don't know how to play cards, why don't we make some dinner?' Faye said. The sleepy mutt looked up lovingly, always ready for a warm plate of Faye's attention. Faye chuckled. "'Snug as a bug you are! Snug as a bug! Come on, then. Let's head to the kitchen and see what we can rustle up. I'm craving bacon. Now doesn't that sound delicious?' She left her chair, the seat's cushion still holding on to the worn outline of her body. Beyond the soft glow of the wood stove, the kitchen was a collection of long shadows. Faye expertly grabbed a quick-strike match from the box on the wall and lit it. The familiar whoosh and snap of fire gave her more than enough light to continue on to the old glass lantern that sat, as always, in the center of her dining table. Within seconds, it too was aglow. There, now isn't that pretty, she said out loud, while watching rose-colored light reflect off the large kitchen window down onto her plastic tablecloth. There'll be no stars tonight to watch, that's for sure. Why don't we eat in front of the wood stove? The little dog wagged his tail in response. Her back to the window now, she readied a gas burner and slid her cast-iron skillet forward. Now for some bacon, she announced, and turned just in time to see movement from outside the window. At first, she dismissed it as a distortion of the light, a trick of the eye, and then she halted. Now she was looking directly at a man, and he was looking directly at her. She jerked back, calling out, Oh, my! There was a time when she would have rushed to the door to help a neighbor to let the man in and out of the storm, but that was then. Now, she wasn't so sure. Something wasn't right. The little dog's nose filled with information, his growls quickly confirming her suspicions. He knew this energy. They had met before. He lunged forward to take his position between Fay and the window. Let me in. The man seemed to be talking to her, and yet his lips never moved. We have a mutual acquaintance, you and me. And then the figure laughed before adding, <laughs> He was flailing his arms and sticking out his tongue. He was pretending to be electrocuted. Faye could feel the blood drain from her face. She was terror-stricken, entranced. Like everything else, she was prepared for death. 
She had settled her affairs and was making the most of every moment until the good Lord called her home. She was ready to go, but not like this. The little dog growled deeply. Faye looked down at the dog and then back at the window. Something deep inside of her had been activated, something primal and plucky. Just who do you think you're speaking to? I did not come this far in life to be terrorized by intruders who have no business on my lake, she yelled through the window. And I have had more than enough of this foolishness. Her life force was still strong, and the dog could feel it. Maybe, together, they had a chance. Miss Fay backed out of the kitchen and headed toward her bedroom. After her ordeal that fall, Sheriff Randall had urged her to beef up her preparedness with technology. She balked at the expense, but Nathan had assured her that she would be making an investment in her independence, and so she followed the sheriff's advice. All of it. When I see that boy, I am going to kiss him, Faye said out loud as she approached her writing desk and the array of new equipment that covered it. She was more than grateful for Nathan's guidance, and within minutes she was holding a military-grade survival flashlight, and she was pointing the light in the direction of a bright red satellite phone. Nathan had begged her to carry it with her when she went out snowmobiling. The candy apple red color had been her idea. She yanked it off the charging cradle and held the green button down until it beeped to life. Now, if she could just get her hands to stop shaking, she could call Nathan and, God willing, he would send help. Back in the kitchen, the dog had grown hysterical, his barking now peppered with screams and yelping. Faye took her gear and rushed back to find him on top of the dining table. He was throwing himself against the window, pasting the glass with foam and fear as thick as whipped egg whites. Faye watched as the oil lantern teetered back and forth. He's going to set the house on fire. Hush, dog, hush, she screamed, and then pointed her flashlight outside the window. The stranger was gone. There were no footprints in the snow, nothing coming and nothing going. He just wasn't there. And yet her companion was more upset than ever, snapping and snarling, and then launching himself against the unyielding glass. He's gone. He's not out there anymore. You hush now. Hush now. Faye watched in horror as the little dog slammed his body once more against the window. He was trying to break it. No, no, stop that. You stop that. And then she smelled something. It was thick and oily, like rancid meat and sulfur. That's right. There's nobody out there, Faye heard a voice say. And it was coming from right behind her. Sheriff Randall studied the number that appeared on his cell phone. Who in the world could this be, he pondered, while the phone vibrated softly. The number had a long prefix, like an international call. He was confused. Maybe it's a reporter from overseas? He pushed the call to voicemail. It can wait, he thought. I don't have time for this right now. And that was it. 
the decision that would torment the sheriff for the rest of his days. One quick swipe of his finger, and it was over. In a short time, the warrior would fold into himself like crushed origami, unable to recover his original shape. Forever broken. Miss Fay's satellite phone number was long, 14 digits to be exact, but none of that mattered anymore. The Fold, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories or visit my website, BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening.